Hi everybody, I have Matt Ram back with me on this season um, six, episode six of the Practical Protection Podcast. Hi Matt. Good morning, how are you? I am very good, thank you. I've got a, a lovely cup of tea. It's a little bit, a uh, little bit cold here, so I've got a lovely cup of tea to keep me warm. And I'm very, very, uh, very happy to be having a chat with you today. And, and how are you today? Yeah, keep keeping well. Thank you very much. Um, uh, uh, another birthday went past last week, and oh, um, what can I say? So uh, I'm, I'm still not an old age pensioner, I'm afraid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the state benefit, anyway. Um, well, I when, think. Uh, a dread to think of what age I'll be when the state benefits suddenly says well, when, I get, when I get there. Yeah, that's I'll a be eighty. A, that's a bit of contentious. I'm sorry about that. No, no, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, oh dearie me! So, so Teresa and I went down to um, had a had a lovely late uh, tea down down in Manchester. Oh, so lovely! Had a, a, a very nice day, and the sun shone. It didn't rain in Manchester, which is saying something, I have to say. So yes, oh, all, all nice. good. Thank you very much indeed. Very, very good. Well, belated happy birthday to you. Thank you. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about high net worth protection insurance policies and how underwriting can be different for these. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Matt, I know we always have a little natter before these things and uh, just make sure that we're, we're both completely on track in terms of the context of some of the questions that we're, we're going to be going through and what we think sort of our, our conversation will, will broadly go as, but we're always just uh, generally having a good natter, as I'm sure people can tell. And I think what's quite interesting is when I was thinking about the first question I was going to present to you is that we've chatted beforehand and, and kind of like started to already <laughs> start to talk about this side of things, which is, in a sense, from an underwriter's point of view, is what's considered to be a high net worth insurance application, say, maybe different to what an advisor like myself would see. So I suppose that's a, a good way to start off. So in a sense, what does it mean from an underwriter's point of view, for an insurance application to be considered to be high net worth, um, because there are specific teams, aren't they, that in the underwriting teams that will specifically handle cases that are considered quite large. Yes, yes, absolutely. Not everybody has a, a has a large case team, and I'm going to immediately go go into underwriting mode. In okay, terms go of for it. <laughs> So I'm just going to be I'm going to be an underwriter for a second, well, not a second, the next couple of minutes. But yes, those those teams are uh, um, can be accessed by the IFAs and by distributors, um, and they are nearly all of the main high street um, insurers will have a high net worth team, or I think probably more commonly called uh, called in in underwriting circles anyway, a large case team. Now there there is a um, Another uh, phrase that is used um, within the the high net worth or large case space, uh, space, if I can trip it with my uh, teeth, um, called jumbo risks. All right. They they maybe a bit of an old fashioned term, um, but those risks are generally ones which are. And I would have I'm going to have to be a little bit general here in my comment. Yeah. Probably over around 20 million for life. Okay. Okay. Jumbo, elephant, big, large. That's yes. the kind of uh, where, it, where it all comes from. There's no surprises there. I'm seeing an elephant covered in money. That's <laughs> my visual now. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, again, high, high net worth applications, um, 
is in my experience at least a term that is is often used by uh, IFAs in particular who have a high net worth client mm. now um Again, how you define a high net worth client is really, I think, down to the individual IFA. But I would say you're looking at um, a, a net worth, uh, and we'll go into that a little bit later on, and uh, uh, inheritance tax, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, yeah. of, of around, let's say, two million or so, yeah. or is earning you know, in, in well in excess of, say, £200,000 per annum. Okay. Now, that high net worth client um, can often um, only require small amounts of life cover or kick or IP, yeah. um, which would not classically be termed a large case and may not go into a large case team. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to be a bit slightly careful here around how we, how we define a, a high net worth application. Because I always think high net worth is more around the individual yeah, it's more about the policy size. Yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree in terms of policy size. I'm just thinking um, of just somebody I've been speaking to recently and um, and their net worth is, is considerably more than two million, as you were just mentioning there. Yeah. But the insurance policy that's needed is only about £600,000. And I wouldn't yeah. consider that policy as high net worth or going to the high net worth team. So I, I do think it's important that, you know, what you're saying there in terms of this definition, it's 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 important to sort of like separate sometimes the person from the policy and think right well actually with the insurer we're, we're, we're speaking about the policy here um, I mean there can obviously be specific connections though can't there's so a say so as an example if somebody is earning £20,000 worth of salary every year and let's just assume that they don't have a mortgage that's more than say 200000 and they come and they're wanting £3 million worth of life insurance that's obviously from an insurable interest point of view. As an advisor, we'd be probably stepping in and going, is, is the insurable interest there? Is the need there? But I imagine, let's say if somebody had gone direct to an insurer and they wanted that kind of cover and they're in that kind of situation, what would be, and I know you can't speak for all insurers or all underwriters, but isn't there sort of like a bit of a stance at some point where it's like, well, generally insurers are happy to go by a certain multiple of salary as sort of like seen as like it's maybe I don't know maybe 20 times salary or something as a maximum ballpark figure unless there's that real considerable need and interest being discussed I think you're absolutely right as in ballpark figures then multiples of salary are are linked um to the individual the younger you are generally and therefore we've got more of a work, uh, length of time to go in terms of working life income generating years um the, the higher the multiple of salary and it'll go down to about uh, five uh, when you become 55 60 although that's possibly a little bit contentious with people working often well beyond 60 65 70 now yeah i would say though that um and, and you know over the years i've seen many many cases on similar lines to the one you've just said, I would always say, look, look at the insurer's guidelines. And I would really emphasize here, these are guidelines only. Mm. If there is a story to run alongside, let's say the case that you just mentioned, yeah, I, the need, yeah. I, then the need and the loss on death, because ultimately that's what you're looking at. It's the loss on death, isn't it? Yeah. If there is a, an, a, a need there, um 
and it can be explained, then underwriters will will uh, think outside the box and, and potentially, from the circumstances, give three million in the in the scenario you just mentioned. Um, so really, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be bound by the multiples of salary for personal protection mm. uh, on life cover. If there is a story to be had, then tell it. And the majority of those underwriters who I'm being had to be a little bit careful here, but who work on the high net worth teams or the large case teams yeah. um, will, will, will certainly listen and see what they can do. So, yeah. so those multiples um, are rather interesting. And also you get into all types of funny, I say funny, frustrating situations where those multiples might happen to be on, um, on a, uh, an automated underwriting system. Yes. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, again, it is. I think it's worth alerting um, uh, an underwriting team to a particular client of yours, maybe before you submit it, just to say this is on its yeah. way. Um, or and your under and even if you do submit it, the underwriting uh, automated rule has said, right, okay, we're going to limit this to let's say twenty times, yeah. but there's more to it, more to this case than meets the eye, and, and therefore get it, you know, get to that automated decision turn round. It's one of the it's one of the challenges you have with automated systems. To be honest with you, it takes away the flexibility that mm. a human intervention can make. Does so that help in that particular example? Yeah, it does. And I was thinking in terms of the automated systems, like going back to what you said before, like where when we're starting to maybe think two million is possibly going to start being looked at by the, the large case team, as, as we well, call it. That's maybe a oh. high net worth. Sorry, the, that was an example I was using on a kind of a high net worth scenario um, in terms of a high net worth individual. If you're looking at the policy, if I can revert back to policies, policy sums assured, then generally, I'll just go life only for, for the sake of the time that we have today. Um, we'll we'll kicking this around a million or a million and a half for life. So look, if you look at the sums assured, then that's usually the sums assured that will go into a large case team. That that figure does vary amongst different insurers. Sorry to interrupt, Catherine. I just, just wanted to, to be um, a little bit clearer in terms of what an underwriter and a large case team would consider. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, sorry, oh, no, I, like, I, I muted myself me. because uh, Fudge started to have a barking fit. So um, I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, nobody wants to hear that. I'll, I'll cut out his barking. Does he, does he disagree with me then? <laughs> yes, he's clearly got my back. Yes, no, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's just seen someone is. outside. He's just having a moment. No, um, <laughs> but no, I think that is really helpful because that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, a million pounds, I would expect that, you know, in terms of the applications that we do, but getting towards that minute assuming that we're doing it all in one policy and with the same insurer and that we've not split across multiples I would be expecting a million pounds that a lot of the time that it would be going to um it wouldn't be going through necessarily straight online and um that we'll be doing things like triggering quite likely possibly triggering things like maybe GP reports nurses screenings medical underwriting is is that what we can expect and there'll also be sort of there's a time as well isn't there where there's financial underwriting comes into place yes that's right and in terms of the, the medical side yeah very much depends on the age of course as you, as you very well know um uh, non-med limits medical limits are based very much on age the younger yes. you are and on the, on the basis you have made no no adverse disclosures 
um, comments about your pre-existing medical history, that is, um, then, uh, you know, you can get quite substantial sums assured with, with no medical. Yeah. Um, some insurers will require an automatic GPR. Yes. Uh, at any sum assured. Um, so it, it varies. It varies amongst insurers, but you, you're right. In general terms, the the higher the sum assured, rather dependent on age, um, the, the the more uh, evidence you will get. Particularly that I mean, I, I would say maybe outside the London domestic mortgage market, then most of the large cases that I see tend to be people over the age of forty. Yes, certainly 50, 60. And then you start getting into IH to inheritance tax, of course. Yeah. Um, so and, and they'll be kicking off um, automatic requirements at a, at a smaller sum assured. So absolutely right. In terms of financial underwriting, then um, it kind of maybe ties in a little bit to what I was saying before about underwriting guidelines and the, the 20 times salary example that you used. Mm. Um, then those, again, when they start to kick off, they dep- uh, vary within the marketplace. And also there's the sums assured, which um, will generate a third party verification of the financial evidence. Yeah. So what I mean by that is typically on um, on um, in, in terms of inheritance tax, then at the larger sums assured, then you uh, a letter um, or email uh, from the tax advisor, independent yes. tax advisor or accountant would, would generally be required. Um, business covers things like shareholder protection, for instance, you might want to you be uh, looking at therefore basing your sum assured on the percentage shareholding that an individual may have that will therefore go down to the the valuation of the company mm-hmm. which are pretty notorious I think into I say notorious isn't the right word difficult for uh, most advisors to try and calculate themselves then again the the um, a, a third party accountant would, would um, need to produce independent validation. So yes, it does trigger yeah. additional evidence, and um, dare I say it, it goes with it. Uh, sometimes, particularly on the financials, uh, delays. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say, in terms of like things like the shareholder protection and, and things like that, you know, which which we do, I've, I've been involved in that quite a bit. Is yeah. one of the things yeah. that I always do is it's just like, right, what's the accountant? You know, basically the accountant yeah. needs to value this because ultimately, as well, I think a key thing there is that you know some advisors might feel confident and do stuff like that, but going from my compliance head and yeah, the uh, always the, the area of complaints and what can we do to minimise that, I always think along the lines of that's not my expertise. You know, I'm valuing a business and ascertaining the value of each share per person and to their potential allocation, especially if it's like the shareholding is split at different percentages per person. Um, it's just way outside my my day-to-day thing. And ultimately, an accountant will have a valuation of the business. You know, that's especially when we're talking, a lot of the time, the level when we're talking, people are really wanting shareholder protection or a sort of like prepared to start to think about it because they're thinking hang on a minute we're actually all worth quite a bit here we should probably insure ourselves um you know you are getting to the point where there's there is going to be accountants absolutely involved um and yeah, yeah they will be able to 
to give you that information quite clearly and in the format that the insurer needs because it'll all be um, provided in the uh, correct way. I think what's quite interesting as well, um, I think I've uh, skipped over this question, it was going to be one of my other ones, I think I jumped ahead slightly, is the fact that, you know, we do see as advisors, and I know we've got someone, there's a couple of us in our firm who we would specifically have as being there for like the high net worth um, side of things. And I think this is sort of like a bit of an interesting one because it almost it almost flips in terms of the context that we've been discussing. So we've been saying our know, high net worth, you know, just because the individual might have a higher state, it doesn't mean that the protection policy is going to be high net worth. Whereas sometimes for ourselves, we consider our high net worth advisors, again, it, it might not be that they're going to go for the biggest insurance policies, but it will be be quite linked to the person's net value because we know that in those situations or certain um, barriers, you know, sorry, when we're getting to them, that we're starting to do like what you said, we're starting to IHT levels, we're starting to go into gift planning, things like that. So we have some of our team who are specifically um, focused on that area. And but then again, as, as we were saying, though, so the, the individual there is the high net worth, but the policy might not necessarily be high net worth. But yeah, there is a certain amount of complexity. But but then there are obviously as well, you know, and a number of firms where they are purely high, what they would class themselves as high net worth advisors. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite interesting because, you know, I think a lot of us in the advisor space, we, we don't always speak to people with, you know, huge estates. No, and I think no. sometimes you think is there that many people in the UK with that much value that, you know, kind of thing that we have these dedicated teams, we have these dedicated advisors. And I think what's quite interesting as well is because of the fact that we know it is going to go to a large case team and you know, it's depending upon the value, but let's say if somebody needs 2.15 million in life insurance in, in the process generally of the application, the fact that we're going to be going for medical evidence it's not that different to say going for say 500,000 if that person happened to need medical evidence. The, the only addition really is that financial um, questionnaire to, to my knowledge. And I think what would be really interesting is to get your take on what do these large case teams, what, what is it that's so different about that client set so yeah. that we need dedicated teams? That would be really yeah. fascinating to know. Okay, I think there's, there's two angles to this. I think there is one from the individual. So the life, let's say the life assured, keep it simple. And um, potentially might be a little bit of a contentious thing to say, but people who are generally are worth millions want a, uh, a supremely slick and problem-free service. Mm. Um, it is the nature of the of, of the uh, world that they live in um, that they want everything pain free. They all want it yesterday. Um, they want it yeah. simple, simple, and where they don't have to spend much time on it at all. You know, a yeah. lot of large, 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 large case lives are sure they even want to go for a medical exam. Yes. For instance, because you know they see it, see its time out and, and unfit, and therefore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I suppose as well, quite a lot of people in that situation are quite successful business people Correct. who are doing, um, working, obviously very long hours, very intensely, and and as you say, they are just very much. Um, what I class as a red personality. I'm a red personality yes. myself, um, but you know, it's just a case of. 
I want this done. If you can't make it easy, I'll go elsewhere. Or I just won't even have it kind of thing, even though I know I need it. <laughs> even though, which is, it's not a good way to, <laughs> it's not no, a good no, way I'm, to sell people, but it is the way that people are. <laughs> yes, yeah, so absolutely. Some people certainly, and, and it tends to be a characteristic of this socioeconomic group, in my experience. Yeah. Um, and therefore, from a high net worth individual, a special, slick, problem-free service is what is required and there's an element of high net worth underwriter's job to make sure that that happens yes in its crudest terms the uh the larger the policy the light and i'm going this is very very obvious but in its crudest Mm. terms uh, that larger the policy the larger the risk to the insurance company absolutely and therefore, if you're going to um, take on a risk of several million, and I can go on to larger sums assured than that, then you want your most experienced and savvy underwriters signing off that risk. Yeah. And therefore, your high net worth teams or your large case teams in the market tend to, to be staffed by those types of yes. individuals. Okay, so you've got a, you've got two parts to this. You've got the actual client service, and you've got a you know you have a very experienced underwriter looking at all angles and all ways of making it happen as soon as possible. Yeah, and there's many 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 ways of making things happen as soon as possible. I can assure yeah. you. I can't give my trade secrets away, of course. Oh no, no, of course. No, Keep I'm, I'm only pulling <laughs> <laughs> you like. But also, there is the, the absolute strip bare, what does an underwriter do? And they're risk managers at the end yeah. of the day um, for the insurer. And therefore, they have to make sure that they get it right. And of course. That's why you tend to have high net worth teams staffed with your more experienced underwriters. And But also, in my opinion, I always set up my large case teams in uh, my previous lives with people who could think outside the box. Yes. who would go the extra mile for a client. Um, now, as I say, this is why I think this kind of area can be a bit contentious because surely you should do that for every client, irrespective of the sum assured. In terms of the client's experience, I mean by that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there is there is something to be said for it, but we do live in a commercial reality and you know that's, that's the way that the industry is currently. Um, but... Does, does it makes sense. We might, yeah, the, I was going to say the client know. side, but it was also the risk management side has to be bob on as well. Yeah, the thing is, I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where you know it's from 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 an advisor point of view, and I think a lot of advisors who don't handle uh, cases that are that value, you know, it could be frustrating to think, well, hang on a minute, I want a slick through process for my people, yeah. and I was, and it's, but ultimately, I think it comes down to that whole thing as well, isn't it that this is the way that things are structured. You know, it does make sense that if an insurer is taking on a significant risk, that they're going to want to make sure that somebody, like almost in a sense, an underwriter kind of making themselves into a mini compliance person in some ways, you know, you say a risk manager, they're going to want to make sure that 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 case is looked at through and through, that everything's been sorted in terms of the the medical underwriting and there's, there's no... Or there's incredibly minimal risk for things to have not been spotted that needed to be spotted. So I, yeah, I think absolutely. that's fair. That could be spotted, yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're not kind of um, looking at a high net worth case. Um, 
being a kind of like a, a super healthy individual. We're not looking at that. We're just making sure that it is done. The, the, the underwriting process is carried out to okay. the, the best level that it is possible. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do there. And hence the experience of the underwriters tends yes. to be a lot higher with the, in, in the high net worth team. Um, and the, as I say, there are two elements to it. One's, one's risk and one, one is client experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. Does that, does that help that particular question? It does. It does. It really, really helps. Thank you. Okay, then. So in terms of the next question, because this is something I've seen sometimes, and it'd be um, interesting to get your thoughts on it, because I think, you know, we might, you know, in, in terms of like loadings and stuff like that, in terms of high value policies, you know, to the best of my knowledge, if, you know, if somebody has a health condition, which means they're going to get a plus 25% on the premium, um, in terms of somebody who's a higher value policy, you know, they're going to still get the plus 25%, you know, unless there was something in terms of, I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's not going to be sort of like, oh, well, because it's this much, we're going to go up to 100% because, you know, we don't want to, it is so much risk. That's to the best of my knowledge. And uh, if, if it was other than that, I would completely uh, understand you not talking about that side of things, Matt, but yeah. uh, I don't think that is the case. Um, but I do know that, especially if we were starting to look at sometimes some people who are in the international space um, and we're ensuring them that that can sometimes with a summer should actually end up triggering going to per mil ratings because of someone being um, based outside the country for, for quite a long period of time. Um, so is that in a sense, is, am I right in thinking that so in a sense health conditions would be considered pretty much the same as someone who was you know whether or not it's five million or a hundred thousand being took out it pretty much considered in the same way but there are things like potentially travel or you know potentially some sports and different things like that that could you know change things into a more of a per mil side of things which you know on the types of summer shows that we're talking about would be significant increases in terms of the premiums okay i think um there are two angles to this i must admit when i um uh looked at the question um i thought maybe you are but I was, I was thinking more of um if i can put international just to one side for a second yeah absolutely in, in, in the uk uh, you will get um insurers you could probably argue more the reinsurers are introducing um premium loadings um at certain sums assured Right. Now, why they do that um, is is an interesting one. And I think I'll probably keep off the whys and the wherefores. Of, of that. course. Yeah. But either, either which way, um, you'll find that some reinsurers, um, sorry, let's say insurers, let's, let's take reinsurers out of it for a yeah. second, because it's the insurer who fronts all this after all. Yeah. Um, we'll, um, we'll start to load it. Sums, life, life only sums assured as low as 10 million. Okay, but certainly it's a little bit more common at twenty million. So for a start, I think you're looking at pretty big sums assured before those types of loadings get in, uh, are, are involved. Um, now, some insurers um, won't load at all, even on very big sums assured. So again, it's finding you, you know, it's, it's it's finding your insurer there. Yes, as um, always, we need to make sure that we as find always, the way and I think on this particular element, it's 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 um, it's it's 
certainly worth it because it can mean one heck of a difference on, in terms of the premium. You, you guys, um, sorry, you guys, what I mean by that? IFAs will probably see when they've gone to their com, their price comparison sites, they will have seen that some insurers will only quote to a certain amount. Yes. Or they won't hold over a certain amount. And, and that's the trigger, the clue that there's going to be some potentially some kind of loading involved in that. Okay. Yeah. Now, if I go back to this is this is where um, um, I suppose egos come into it to a certain sort of way, and even, even underwriters have egos, believe it mm. or not. And um, I, I do remember being part of a case um, amongst many insurers, I would say, that placed 148 million on okay. a single lady. Oh wow! IHT and yeah. oh wow. That's, that, that was the forty percent on the IHT side. Absolutely. Oh, and, uh, and by the way, that wasn't enough. And uh, there was there was no explicit loading, additional loading to any of that cover. Right. I mean, that's when, that's a phenomenal amount of risk for the insurer. <laughs> well, it's it's. Remember, you 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 read. I don't know if is it Tim that you had on. This, this year from yeah yeah absolutely Did you talk about reinsurance and yes how it yeah. works yeah so I, I won't go into it again but of course this this 148 was spread across the whole of the uk market it was spread across mm. all the uk in uh uh reinsurers and also the retrocessionaires as well mm. so it was a completely it was a very much a global risk that, um, what did you just say retrocessionaires yeah absolutely these, what's these a retrocessionaire Ah, uh, sorry, I'm not sure how to. This is. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I couldn't remember how much information Tim went into. So, I was... no, that's fine. I just, I feel like it's a word that I feel like I've missed out on all my life. It feels like a very unusual word. It just feels strange to say it. <laughs> and I really want to know what it is now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, effectively, uh, as you know. Uh, in very simple terms, reinsurers insure insurers. Yes. Retrocessionaires insure reinsurers. Okay. So it's the third level. There's another tier. There's another tier. Good way of putting it. So is, that, to... is that essentially stakeholders that just bundle a lot of money together and say, use this? No. Okay. No. These are, they are generally reinsurers. The retrocessioners are generally reinsurers, but will operate in the wider marketplace, if you like. Okay. Other, other than having just a single relationship with our insurer, they will look to, uh, to, to to cover jumbo risks across the industry. Okay. But they, they are generally reinsurers who do that. Okay, that's interesting. I was going to say, I've Googled it. While you've well, been describing it to me, I've also Googled it. So I was like, I wonder how I spell that. I just, I, oh, right. yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's really intrigued me. I'm going to be, I'm going to have to try and use that word in some kind of conversation <laughs> today with somebody. I, I love yeah. it. I don't know what it is. I just really love that word. <laughs> just, just really, the, the best way to explain it, forget that they are reinsurers, which they are, but just, just think it's as a third layer. That's, yeah. the, that's the way I always try and explain it anyway. The is there a level. fourth layer? Not as far as I'm aware, no. Okay, right. Okay, so so they're the end layer. Yes, they they, they will ultimately will govern the maximum sum assured that can be placed on on an okay. end, because you know uh, end of really, and they are global, and you can get in some fascinating decisions around um, 
how I don't give too much away here. I shouldn't. Yeah, um, no, of but, course. Uh, but how the American market will look at UK risk. Ah, uh, that's really interesting you mentioned the American market because um, I was just doing some insurance for somebody recently and um, they're due to be going and living um, in North America. Yeah. And it was that whole thing of saying, you know, sort of like I'm saying, right, well, I need to do this before you move, yeah. you know, in a sense, because, you know, there's so many. And then they were saying about trusts. I was like, right, you're going to need, you know, you need to get legal advice in terms of the trust because, you know, there's there is a real thing isn't there there's like treaties in place that say that we can't do um generally can't do insurance advice for people who are in um america um if we're based in the uk i'm sure there's some ifas who do and i do know ifas that do but you know it usually then does involve solicitors because of the amount of legal um contracts that need to go into place in terms of the different the way the different financial systems work sorry i just went on a bit of a side tangent there no 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 yes it's not a, nothing to do with the insurance treaties by the way this is due to oh, yeah. as well as their, their licenses but I will. Uh, I shall. I shall leave that one alone for the minute. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, well, we don't want you saying anything you're not allowed to say. So we'll <laughs> just be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's too much there. It's just. It's just uh, it, it, we've we've just got a, a limited amount of time. That's all because we could go yeah. on for a whole morning about some of these things. But um, that, yeah, that's absolutely. why I'm being. Uh, a little maybe appearing a little fickle don't mean to be no no absolutely and so in, you know when we're talking about this obviously we've mentioned the high net worth side of things the fact that there's sometimes referred to more as large cases the fact that a high net worth individual doesn't mean a high net worth case but then also vice versa of that yeah, um so. but you know i think a good thing that we need to talk about a bit is inheritance tax planning and gifting to vivos um both things i'm familiar with but i will obviously chat to you about them so we can help people to possibly understand them a bit more so in terms of the inheritance tax planning that is going to be um, where we need to be starting to um, kick into place some protection some financial protection for what could be the potential tax on an estate when somebody passes away so what kind of policies would you generally recommend for that kind of situation Matt? Okay just just to be 100% sure here I, I wouldn't recommend Oh, no, sorry, not, no, no, sorry. I, I know, I know, I know where you're coming from. What would you usually to... say as an underwriter? What would you usually expect <laughs> an advisor to come to you and say, I need this, if somebody was uh, wanting that? Absolutely. Um, well, again, very much down to individual circumstance um, and therefore the, the, the detail of the tax affairs of the individual do need to be uh, considered in detail by the, uh, the the advisor here. In terms of the products, um, then if I had been sat here 10 years ago, I would have said the most common product for a married couple hmm. um, or civil partnership, etc., cetera, um, would, have, would have been a, a joint whole of, guaranteed whole of life, second death policy. Yeah. The second death, as you know, is around, that is when the actual tax liability happens between yes. spouses. Um, and that would be your common one. Now, what has happened in the marketplace, the cost of the guarantee went absolutely skyrocketing um, yeah. over the last 10 years, and they uh, almost became obsolete um, in the UK market mm. uh, because even those folk who had an awful lot of money just didn't see them value for money. Which yes. is a debatable one. If you lose it, if you use a, a, a guarantee, uh, sorry, a whole of life calculator, yeah. uh, which is available on various websites to uh, explain how the premium works against the liability, etc. However, yeah. the perception was there, 
And really what has um, what was taken over from those is a joint level term assurance second death, which is uh, noticeably cheaper. But of course, a level term assurance has an expiry date. Yes. Um, and it, it doesn't provide the whole of life cover, which is one could argue is, is really what you need on, a, on an inheritance tax liability. Yeah. But nevertheless, they are popular because A, um, uh, they're cheaper, uh, and B, because uh, financial planning, I'm, I'm seeing it more increasingly, and you, you, you um, please shout as well what, what you yeah. see, um, that, that particularly younger couples in their 30s and 40s, 50s even, um, will say, right, I'm just going to take out 10-year term assurance, second mm-hmm. death, because I'm going to sort out my estates and give things here and give things there and, and get my tax wizards on this. And, um, yes. and therefore, by the time I'm, I get to my 70s or 80s, I'm saying this is when maybe, maybe most people pass away, yeah. um, you know, my, my the, the tax that I may be giving the Indian Revenue will be um, an awful lot less. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, but... The, yeah. you know, a, a short period. So I, I now, um, from my perspective, I see a lot of term assurance second death in the kind of 10 to 20 year category. Yeah, I mean, we do sometimes see um, things like things like that, and you know, very similar to what you say. So, so a bit of a, a tip that I would be trying to say to advisors, you know, if, if you see the need for inheritance tax planning, you're wanting to do the whole of life insurance, you know, it's not going to be cheap, you know, especially when we're talking somebody who's in that kind of a value. Um, and, you know, you might even be, you know, there could be arguments to do at RPI links because of the fact that the value of the estate could be getting bigger. And, you know, even then it still might not keep on top of that. Because I think what a lot of people probably don't think about or factor in is just how much property values have increased over the years and how that could very very quickly be putting people into an IHT um, risk Um, so if you are trying to do an advice for somebody and you can see that they need whole of life insurance and they're just going look I'm not prepared to pay that do them the term quotes you know at the very least I'd say this from a compliance point of view as well, you know, make sure you've quoted them for whole of life, quote them to age 90, quote them to age 85, quote them to age 80, obviously very much depending upon their their age as well as to the people that we're talking about, you know, do that, try and get it on a guaranteed basis as well if you can, because I'm seeing more and more people, and I have had somebody contact me recently, you know, and my heart absolutely goes out to them and because of the fact that they've taken out these uh, policies and I have quite a lot of people in a sense brought to me to have a look at these existing policies who may be done on like a unit linked basis so quite old ones that were set up um, on a renewable basis and when you're getting to a certain age that re- when the renewal comes up um, basically you're told right your premiums are either going to increase by about 50 percent or your sum assured is going to reduce by a certain amount which is usually quite a hefty drop um because of the fact that we're now renewing it and you're now this age and um and that's a really difficult situation because as i say it could be that you know with these people that it it might be i don't know that their premium could be going from i don't know let's say 300 pound a month up to 600 pound a month as as a rough example i know that that's much more than a 50 percent increase much much more so (laughs) yeah let's do 300 to 450 pound a month there we go 50 percent increase um and they're going, but I don't, you know, this is too much. And and I'll say, right, well, if I was going to guarantee that summer show for you right now, we're talking well over a thousand pounds per month because of the fact that we're guaranteeing it, it'll never change. 
that is obviously a huge step up from what they're potentially stepping up to already that they're not comfy with. But ultimately, that other policy it is just going to keep increasing um, at, the, at the renewals. Um, and there's quite a few people, you know, sort of like who, you know, I think as you're saying, people just aren't seeing them as value to money. So actually, even though they've got this protection in place, which is amazing, they're just ending up cancelling them because they're just like, well, it's just not worth it. Um, and uh, and that's a, a huge shame. But un- unfortunately, that does come down to, I think, a lot of the time, pe- you know, people make choices that they want to make at a certain time. And as an advisor, I always think it's important to turn on and go, right, this is the price of guaranteeing this right now. There's this one over here that's a lot cheaper. You know, I'm not going to deny it's in existence. It is there. It is a lot cheaper. But there's this huge bundle of risk that's associated with it. And in terms of like the eventual premiums and everything, I think that's a really key thing. But as you say, inheritance tax planning, joint life, second death, make sure as well, especially if we've got cohabiting people that we have trusts in place. That is a huge, huge issue um, to the point of, you know, I do know some advisors who, you know, with certain things, especially certain life insurances, they will just, especially if they're cohabiting, they will just not put the policy in place unless there is a trust in place. They just yep. refuse to. Yep. And, you know, that's, you know, obviously to each advisor to their own on the way that we need to do that. Um, a big thing that I, my point of view is, is that there are some insurers who still require paper trusts. I really advocate for them to change that. Um, and or at the very least to start to embed the payout planner on their internal systems, which really doesn't take that bigger change in terms of the technical side of the uh, website. Um, people might think, what do you know about that? Well, actually, I know I don't build an insurer's websites, but I do dabble a bit within websites and Alan is from a tech background <laughs> that was before he was an advisor so oh, I know it's okay. not the end of the world to make an extra page on the application form to say here's a payout planner um, but I do appreciate in terms of the compliance side of things and the background the T's and C's and all that kind of it's, it's much much bigger than just a website however you know it's you know th- there are many changes happening in that place that need to but in also as well in terms of the online trust services um there are many insurers who have absolutely fantastic trust services, um, you know, in, in terms of an insurer who isn't maybe getting a lot of online trust done with them or maybe they don't have the facility, you know, always happy for people to reach out. And, you know, I can take them through a walkthrough without naming names. I can take them through a walkthrough of systems that work very well. Um and I'm sure they probably know of those anyway, but just on the off chance that they don't know what those systems are, um, you know, there's certainly opportunity to listen to advice and say, look, this is working well, this isn't working well. I have to say as well, there's some insurers online systems that for trust that are so awful that we actually revert to paper ones because even though, as we all know, paper ones have a much uh, lower return rate um, than it was being able to just do it online there and then, it is an absolute nightmare some of the online ones and it's just not worth it <laughs> it's, it's so much hassle and pain um that you just like right i'll just go paper you do feedback to the insurers i know it's a bit of a yes yeah oh, say, yes. Because, oh, that's, that's pretty <laughs> awful that. yeah we, we do feedback so to them to financial planning yeah. I, uh, I i find it almost a dereliction of duty not having yes. a, a one that can be used it doesn't have to be ultra slick but at least one that yeah. could be used so, um, what no, I was going to say as well, in terms of trusts, you know, for 
you know, all insurers that we would be, well, the majority of insurers that we use have some kind of a trust facility. And so, especially with those as well, I mean, the payout plan, I understand that's a bit different. So people would need yeah. to get legal teams, compliance teams involved, but the trust that already there, they're already established. And again, it, it really doesn't take much to make a website system you know a few more pages you know I imagine I say this I imagine that insurance companies have tech teams or they have to contract people in and that they're maybe not the cheapest of solutions however in the grand scheme of things it really doesn't take much to add in a few pages and and to get a trust in there um I'm sure somebody would argue with me on that I can think of a mutual friend Matt who might argue with me on that situation we won't name names but (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't think said individual would actually oh really oh that's good particular point no 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 all right I'll get brownie points for this episode then and going yes I didn't get any feedback to say I was wrong brilliant I love the pun (laughs) and in terms of gifting to Vivos can you explain what a gifting to Vivos policy does for us Matt right into Vivos yes Wonderful term, isn't it? And it's lovely, lovely to see that the insurance industry still t- takes its policy after Latin. Sorry, t- t- names its policies after Latin. But yeah, absolutely. Do you know what intervivos means? I don't well, know, I but I'm just going to say planning. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's gift planning. So just... <laughs> well, you know what? I couldn't remember when I, I thought, I thought this is the type of question that Catherine's going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what's the Latin for this, Matt? <laughs> So it, it actually means I had to look this up by the way because I couldn't remember what it was. But it means yeah. if it, so, gift intervivos, gift made while alive intervivos oh. while alive, or intervivos can also mean between the living, gift made between ah, the living. Ah, interesting. So, so um, kind of the, a pub quiz fact that's uh, probably worthless to the vast majority of our listeners. But um, so it does actually have a resonance doesn't it really it does well, I was really thinking I'll um, I'll make sure that I am um, run anything as well past my uh, Italian brother-in-law because it's so similar obviously there's so much rooted in Italian still yes. with the Latin I was thinking I'm going to say to him later what does intervivos mean Alberto and see what he says to me <laughs> <laughs> probably thought from isn't said gentleman from Sardinia yes yes ah, well there you go you'll know everything then Oh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. He he actually because when we came up with our name Cura, it was one of the things. It's um, so in Latin, Cura means to care and protect, which is the reason that we chose it. And um, and we were choosing a few different names, and uh, we put it to to him, and he was just like, "Oh, well, that one. It doesn't mean the same kind of care and protect, but Cura. Yeah, that means to, to like to nurture, to look after people. So yeah, that's the best one." Um, and I was just like, "It was lovely that um, that we, we got that thumbs up from a, a native speaker uh, that we were going the right way." My God. That is amazing. <laughs> so there we go. We're, we're Latin yes. too. So. Yes, that's exactly. Goodness gracious. Like, what, what can I say? So, sorry. We, we were no, talking okay. about um, gift intervivos policies. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, as we've just talked about the, 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 with the old Latin, um, these are, are made while uh, an individual is, is still alive. Um, and it, it's, it's gifting away part of your estate. The various exemptions um, available, but I won't I won't go into those today. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will be aware of the, your three hundred and twenty five thousands and your five hundred thousand each on domestic residences, etc. Yeah. Um, but effectively, if you want to give a, a something away, and it is a, a substantial amount, then uh, you can protect yourself against the uh, inevitable 
tax bill which arrives. Yeah. Um, um, we'll protect the gift tea. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so the person who receives the money, would, we're protecting they them. They wouldn't have to pay any inheritance tax. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry, they would have to pay inheritance tax, but the insurance policy mitigates that. It covers it. It, it gives them the money to, to be able to do to it. Pay, to pay it. Absolutely. Um, now, the uh, in, in typical British style, the uh, tax um, on gifting lifetime gifts or potentially exempt transfers, as they're often known, pets, yes, um, is is rather complicated. I'm not quite yeah. entirely sure why it is complicated, um, but, it, but nevertheless it is. And effectively, the tax is tapered and therefore the insurance policy moulds itself around the inheritance tax that, that uh, will become payable. Yeah. So therefore, basically, uh, as I was saying, most people hopefully will know that for the, the current rate of tax for um, uh, inheritance is 40%. Yeah. And therefore, um, on lifetime gifts, uh, the tapering of the amount of tax payable basically is if the gift, so it's the date of the gift, mm-hmm. and you effectively in years seven to eight, the uh, you will no longer pay any inheritance tax. Okay. Yeah. And that tapers throughout that duration not yeah. completely but it tapers so in the first um three years then you would be looking at having to pay 40 percent three to four down to 32 and it decreases by eight percent thereafter so 45 24 5 6 16 6 to 7 8 7 to 8 naught um and a giv policy is effectively a, a a one policy but it effectively is a series of term assurances which will cover that specific liability throughout yeah. that um, throughout the, the seven-year term. Now, these policies, GIV policies, again, when I was but a lad, they used to be very, very common. Mm. Um, but GIV policies, so that combination of term assurances that specifically fit, are quite rare these days. In fact, I think I only I think I can only think of two insurers, mainstream insurers, yes. that actually offer them. So yes. what's happened? What's happened over the years is that um, insurance insurers have realised that just um, making level, your traditional level term insurance available. Yeah. So in fact, you would have five stroke six policies. Yeah. All individual policies, not all, not all under one, like a GIV policy. And um, and they were tailored the, the the duration of those policies in with the IHT liability that will become payable. Yeah. Um, and that is much more a common way that it is done these days. But nevertheless, GIV policies do exist. Do you have a do you have a view on how you would advise on those different types of policies? My under- my understanding is that the level term insurance by individual policy is 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 often the way forward these days as opposed to GIV. What what how do you see it, Catherine? I think it depends. As you say, there's only two mainstream insurers that offer the gift into Vivos policies. And in some yeah. ways it can be nice because it's just like, right, it's just one policy, it's just yeah. doing its thing. In a sense, it's almost decreasing, uh, decreasing cover in some ways because yeah. of the fact that it yeah. decreases at certain times. Yeah. Um, but it is more especially depending upon the risks of the individual, you know, it might be that you need to go somewhere else. And then 
And then what you can do yeah. is, so you would find out the gift amount. So let's say the gift's 100,000. You'd then know that IHT was 40% for 40,000. So then you would be putting in place 40,000 pounds worth of um, life insurance. Um, and as you say, Matt, you would do one for three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years. And each of those would have a value of 20% of the gift amount. Yeah. Um, so I believe if I use the 40,000 option, I believe that means that it'd be, you'd have three years of 8,000, four years of 8,000, five years, 8,000, six years, eight, I think, I'm sure I've done that maths right, 20, no. Yes, 20%. <laughs> you know what you mean, though. don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done it right. 20% is 8,000, yeah. So we would do it that way. Um, and you can obviously have the benefit of multi-plan discounts um, if you are able to use that or potentially, you know, not having to pay menu plans um, fees um, if you were to, to do multiple ones all in one go. That one is, that, that doing it that way, in a sense, is, is messier on the advisor's part because you've then got five different applications going forward. You've got five policy numbers. And I think the key thing with that is when you speak to a client, if, if you are needing to go down that way, it's just to turn and just go, this, you know, in some ways this could look messy and you're going to have quite a few documents, but that's for me to sort. You know, I'm here to do the complex side of things. And it's more, in a sense, it's more work for me. It's not more work for them, you know, for the client at all. Really? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and you should obviously then make sure that they know obviously all of them into trust. And a really interesting thing here as well is make sure, because I had such, and I, I did a podcast about this um recently with um, Ruth and Roy um, and the difficulty that I had, I was explaining, I had such a nightmare with these trusts because I I had to use three different insurers for the um, gift planning and each in trust, I had to do a different one with completely different names. So one of them would be one with one insurer, but the same name to trust with another insurer was completely the wrong choice for different reasons. But you want to make sure that, you know, it's in trust to the person, to the giftee, the person receiving it, but also make sure that whenever you're choosing your insurer, that you can use a trust that has the option for you to gift the terminal illness benefit also to the person who's received the money. Because that was one of the issues that I was seeing for some of the trusts was that someone had an automatic retainment of the gift, um, sorry, automatic retainment of terminal illness benefit, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do because all yeah. you're going to do is feed into the IHT liability that's yeah. that's likely there um, and then also you're not going to be that person isn't going to get the money that they wanted and ultimately again from an advice point of view compliance point of view that's going to end up with a nasty complaint for yourself as an advisor and that's not to to scare people away from it it's just to say just make sure it isn't just a case of oh this you know this insurer is the cheapest one or oh this is doing this over here or doing there and you know they're the best one for risks yes we need to take that into account we must also double check that that end trust result is going to be able to do what we need it to do yeah the terminal illness one is an incredibly good point yeah yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a, it was, I was going to say, it was a barrel of laughs sorting that out. Um, It was not fun in the slightest because as well, obviously we have a team. So there's us as advisors, there's administrators as well. Obviously our admin team do not and cannot advise on the trusts, but they will step in. They'll help prepare some of it in terms of some of the um, filling in people's names, dates of birth and addresses and things like that. And, And with one of my team, bless her, she started going through it and she was just like, I'm not sure, but she was like, these have all got different names. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. I was like, it's fine. I've 
it's okay and then she was just like this one says this and I was like right okay that's not fine and I just get a different one and you know and we were just having to sense it all out so again if you are an advisor if you do have administrative support or planner power planner anybody there and I'm sure power planners will be very on top of this anyway but um just make sure that you are really seeing all those key bits so um, I think we're towards the end of the um, podcast, Matt, and I'll just use a case study for somebody who had was high net worth and had high net worth policies. So those large policies as well for us to talk about. And uh, for these people, it was a couple. Um, they uh, needed some joint uh, insurance for their mortgage and then some individual insurances too for general family protection. And um, overall, they were sort of like to say, you know, there were early 40s, um, there were non-smokers. There wasn't really anything in terms of, I was going to say there wasn't really anything in terms of risks. And then I'll say this, Matt, and you'll think, hmm, but maybe there was. So one of, the, one of them, um, the female, I've had experienced some um, tiredness and slight tingling. So straight away, my mind, possibly your mind as well, is thinking, well, hang on a minute. We've got someone early 40s here, female, getting some tingling. There needs to be some tests, make sure that we're ruling out things like multiple sclerosis, stuff like that. Has that been done? It's, that's what I'm thinking would yeah, be yeah, possibly yeah. thinking. She had had all the tests and everything. Everything had come back normal. And essentially what it was, as we've said before, when people are high net worth, they're often in quite high position roles. And it was a case of needing to kind of step back and just take it a little bit steadier. So nothing, nothing too intense. Um, but uh, but they did have um, three young children under the age of 10. So we needed to get some good good insurances in place for them, especially as well when we we're looking at um, their their income levels. And I think I had one of my teams say this to me once, and I it really felt like it was interesting to me. And she said, and when she was learning and everything, she was like, she goes, but how come is it, how come somebody who's got that much income, why do they even need stuff like maybe income protection or, um, you know, life insurance? Because they've already got lots of money. And one of the things I'd said to her at the time is I was like, but that also means that the financial shock to them could be even more significant than somebody who is living right to their means, right to their budget, because they're already there, they're already budgeting, they're already on top of things. Whereas people who are high net worth, often they are, you know, they're spending their money, they're enjoying life, you know, they're enjoying to their standard of living. So it could be a huge shock, huge shock to the family and different things. And, and bearing in mind as well, I'm not sure specifically about this couple that I'm speaking about, but quite a lot of time people might have um, private school for the kids. So we're not just talking about you know, protecting the home. We're also talking about protecting the children so that when there's already upheaval in their life from a loss of a parent, that they're not also having to lose their social network, their community, their usual routines, which could have um, quite a significant impact to them. Um, so for this one, um, we arranged 3.2 million joint uh, level life insurance over 15 years to cover the mortgage. And that came to around £380 per month. And then we also did increasing £1 million worth each for family protection over 20 years, making sure that all the children were of an age of independence at that point. And that came in total to £150 per month for both policies. So that's the case study done, Matt. Excellent. Okay. I always think as well, one of the one of the one of the big sellers for, for the high net worth is that um, it depends on whether you're still earning or not. Yes. But they will be particularly as you get older, you tend to be very asset rich and cash poor. Yeah. And if you know, if, if something um, untoward happened, then the only real way of creating cash is selling. Yeah. 
to the asset rich cash poor. And that is certainly something you want to avoid absolutely um, for a whole raft of reasons. So I, I always think that's a big one as well. You know, it's the, it's the asset rich cash poor type of scenario. As yeah, I say, if you're earning two or 300,000 a year, that yeah. said, of course, if you suddenly cannot work again, <laughs> that's a big again that big is a shock. huge thing because it takes the cash out doesn't it it's cash it out what we live on it's not necessarily I mean, we can all remortgage i suppose but it's not something yeah. you want to do it in later life and you tend to find as well that from from my experience with people who are earning quite a lot as i say is that you know they might i don't know let's say someone takes home six thousand pounds a month you know just as a random figure yeah, and probably sure. a lot of people who aren't in that situation would think how can you spend that much and oh well if they couldn't work you know that well yeah. you know yeah. it's, they've already had loads of money and it's just like but you know and how could you possibly spend that much each month and what you'll find is for people who are quite high net worth there will be lots of things going on which means that they are spending Yep. that much and you know it yeah. will be a big shock to them in terms of their standard of living it will be I say a big shock to the family it also means as well especially if we are in that situation they can well be full IFA involved in which point we're getting assets are being put into pensions will be getting being put into yeah, and yeah. that will stop and so it's you know we do it's need to make sure impact, let's be honest yeah it's a yeah. huge it can be it can be massive absolutely massive but there we go so i hope everybody's found this really interesting and thank you as always for your insights matt Catherine, can i just interrupt you just for two seconds there sorry we we um we didn't actually get on to large case international business and oh okay yeah go for it no i don't i think i think to be honest with you that is a topic for another day okay Let's so have that for another day then. Yeah, I, I would say um, let's use that for another day or, or as a part of a discussion for another day. Because I think it's, um, you know, it, it's certainly not a, a, t- a two minute discussion. Let me put it that way. Is that OK? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I know that there'll be certain things, you know, there'll be certain things brought involved, won't there, in terms of like the health ratings, I think, for the countries that absolutely. they're in, health indexes absolutely. and everything like that. Absolutely. And uh, maybe we can talk about America as well. Maybe yeah, we could yeah. do a little bit of demystifying about that. So no, that sounds good. We'll uh, pencil that in for the new year. Absolutely. Fantastic. So next time I'm going to be back with Martin Stewart from London Money. And he's going to be talking about the current mortgage market and how protection insurance is now more vital than ever. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website www.practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, the Opt members. Thank you again, Matt. My pleasure.